You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Two-Way Cap Minutia. I'm Eric Name. <laughs> Just kidding. This is Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name. Joining me as always is my good friend Frank Madden. And the joke I am referencing is the Milwaukee Bucks making a number of moves here uh, as uh, the weekend comes to a close and guarantees start to hit on deals and the Bucks needed to make some moves. So uh, to recap what they've done thus far, the Bucks decided to drop DeAndre Liggins. That was done on Saturday night, Sunday morning. So they requested waivers on DeAndre Liggins. Uh, they also recalled DJ Wilson from the herd. That one's not quite as important. Uh, on Sunday, they signed Xavier Munford to a two-way contract uh, and in a corresponding move converted forward Joel Ballenboy to a standard NBA contract. So Munford moves from just being on the herd to a two-way deal with the Bucks. Uh, Ballenboy goes from a two-way to a standard contract. Uh, and then just now, uh, Frank and I got ready to record around 4.30, um, and this has all happened in the last little bit, the Bucks drop, or excuse me, requested waivers on Joel Ballenboy and moved Sean Kilpatrick from a two-way deal to an NBA contract. And it's a little bit confusing, a little bit difficult to kind of figure out, um, but essentially this move was done signing Joel Ballenboy. Ballenboy is like the strangest part, that you would give him an NBA contract and then release him. They did that in order to attempt to have a better chance of keeping him within the organization. And with that, I will toss it over to my favorite cap nerd, Frank Madden. Frank, explain it to the people. <laughs> okay, so, so and, and you know, the Bucks have really kept us on our toes this year with this two-way stuff because <sighs> they've been like, the, they, I think they were the first team to use both of their two-way spots in July when they, you know, many moons ago signed... Uh, Bronson Koenig and Jalen Moore to the, to the first two-way deals. And then they were the first team to release two-way guys when yep. they got rid of both of those guys in the summer. Um, and then they added, obviously, two more two-way guys. They were the first team to release, I think, wave a two-way guy when they got rid of Gary Payton, you know, only days after Jason Kidd was starting him. Um, but as his uh, number of NBA days uh, hit 45, he was no longer going to be able to play with the big club probably thankfully for the rest of us. Uh, but uh, that <laughs> meant they decided to waive him. And obviously he could, you know, go sign with any other team at that point. And the interesting thing here, so uh, probably, I mean, we're going to bury the lead a little bit here just because we'll, we'll try to explain the mechanics of why Ballenboy is, is signed and then, well, converted and then waived. Um, 
because obviously the more interesting thing is is Kilpatrick and and Munford being still on the team. Kilpatrick now being a uh, full fully fledged member of the team uh, for at least the rest of this season, uh, presumably because he'll be a guaranteed contract. At least he'll be paid like he's going to be on the roster this year. And then Xavier Munford. Um, we'll probably have uh, 23 days, maybe 22 days, something yeah. like that of NBA service available on his NBA contract. So, I mean, those are the two guys that obviously are interesting because they might actually play for the Bucks this season again. Uh, and then there's this other open two way spot which is open by virtue of Ballin Boy being converted and then waived. And the, the rationale here is Ballin, we, I, I'm not sure how many days Ballin Boy had left on his on NBA days uh, on his. It might have been single digits. Yeah. So so obviously he spent a fair bit of time with the Bucks in November and December. And we saw him actually play some game action. I don't know if we saw enough to conclude whether he was ever going to be a useful NBA player. But, oh, he's going to be a star. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> NBA athlete, that's for sure. Yes. Um, maybe not ideal size for a center, but obviously nowadays it's less of an issue. But certainly NBA athleticism has been a very good G League player of the last um, year plus. And um, so the thinking was if they were going to have to waive him at some point in the near future and keep in mind that um, f- NBA contracts – are all going to be guaranteed for the rest of the season on January 10th. This is the last day to be able to waive guys and have them clear waivers. So that's why all this is happening here over the weekend ahead of January 10th. And then the, the deadline to sign um, to sign new uh, two-way contracts uh, is January 15th. So that's also um, going to be uh, ending very soon as well. So there's the ability to sign that. So um, I, apparently the, the thinking is um, if they had just waived Joel Wallenboy as a two-way contract, um, because he did have some time left and uh, obviously also you know you even if he used up his days you could just leave him with your G League team um, the thinking was well um, a team may have claimed him off as a two-way contract off waivers however if he gets converted to a non-guaranteed contract that's imminently would need to be guaranteed it becomes i don't want to say a poison pill but it becomes a much less attractive contract to claim off waivers because then you would have had to pay him you know 750 grand or something like that um for the rest of the year guaranteed and take up an nba roster spot if you had tried to claim him as an nba contract so the thinking is by doing this um if nobody claims him and he chooses to go back to the g league then he will uh, revert back to the herd. Obviously, he can go on sign a 10-day contract or sign a full NBA contract um, with an NBA team, and the Bucks can't stop that because obviously they're not paying him to be their player anymore. Yep. Um, so it's a little convoluted, but again, this sort of helps the herd out because obviously the question was, well, what's going to happen with Joel Ballum? Well, well, not that many people were asking this, but we, we've, I know we've talked about this. What is going to happen to Joel Ballum by once you know he presumably hit his NBA days maximum? Um, and now it's they basically just said, all right, we're going to, you know, and this also I think helps him a little bit too, just because um, obviously he got most of his um, two-way contract paid out at this point. Yep. Um, and, you know, again, he can go back to um, he can go back to to the G League and at least have an opportunity to sign elsewhere. Ten day contracts um, will also be available. To play. I think that I think they also start on the tenth. W- one of the days this week. There's basically like all these different dates, all all in close succession. But um, so teams will be able to sign ten ten day contracts. So maybe Joel Ballenboy gets a ten day contract from somebody, which obviously you know you wish him luck and you let him do that. And if not, um, you know obviously he's a guy that you would like to keep with the herd. So long story short, Joel Ballenboy. Hopefully we'll still be with the herd, but we'll not be eligible to come back to the Bucks. Um, and then Sean Kilpatrick, apparently they saw enough from him. I'd say certainly I saw enough from him to say, you know, he looks like a reasonable 
you know, back of the bench type guy. We've seen him play in the NBA at a, at a reasonable level previously. And then Xavier Munford is probably the, the unknown quantity here. Um, not in the sense that we don't know anything about him. I mean, he's been a great G League player. He's been on the Team USA AmeriCup roster of G League players that uh, Jeff Van Gundy has coached to uh, some nice success uh, in a couple different stints over the last year. And, you know, he's a, a combo guard scorer, uh, has been very good, again, for the for the herd this year. But I think the obvious question is, well, I mean, Kilpatrick has, hasn't had a uh, an easy time getting uh, getting any minutes. Um, DeAndre Liggins, of course, we've talked at length about why we were not sad to see him uh, go. Uh, not nothing personal, DeAndre. Just you know, he obviously continued to see minutes. Uh, you know, up until I guess uh, Friday he played against the Raptors, and uh, obviously just had not performed at anything close to I would say an NBA level. So better to try new blood see if new players can can potentially give you something and um Kilpatrick a little bit more of a known quantity I think he's about 27 28 years old so he's certainly not like a young up-and-coming guy um but Mumford I think is more interesting in the sense that he could be who knows maybe he's a guy who is a diamond in the rough um you're not going to have a lot of time to to test that out and um probably one of the big questions here is you know what do you do with that other two-way contract that's out there that you still have at your disposal and then probably the you know the bigger question in general you know Kilpatrick replacing Liggins um, and Munford now being available as well you presumably want to see some of him but the Bucks are now healthy uh, at in the backcourt and on the wing other than Jabari Parker so you know are we actually even going to see any of these guys play minutes that's probably the more more interesting question for me and, and I don't know the Bucks are at this point a very uh, very wing and guard heavy team. Uh, so clearing up some of that stuff, uh, Kilpatrick, 28 years old right now. His birthday is, uh, actually no, he'll be 28 on January 6th. Uh, he, January That's 6th. yesterday. Oh yeah. Yesterday was his birthday. <laughs> Duh. Uh, Happy birthday, Sean Kilpatrick. Yeah. So apparently his 28th birthday cause he was born on January 6th, 1990. So, um, I should have put together that I saw some social media tweets about that. Um, so that was his birthday. Uh, so he's 28 years old, uh, Munford, a little bit younger, I think 25, uh, in, I think his birthday is in June. So he is a, a little bit on the younger side there. Uh, so there's a little bit of excitement there, but ultimately, all of the things that happened to break it down, hopefully simply, is the Bucks were going to have to actually they wouldn't have had to make some moves on their two way, um, but if they wanted to be able to use a two way with another player and bring that player up to the NBA team, uh, they needed to get Ballenboy out of that spot. So yeah. w- without that, they could have kept him as a two way, and he could have just been their two way guy but he would have never been able to, to come up to the big team the rest of the year because it, it probably would have been in the next couple of days or so. Yeah, and I think, you know, again, I, I don't I don't know that we saw enough from Joel Ballenboy to think that he was some kind of answer. I don't think, you know, was he going to be better than Thon Maker? I, I don't think I saw enough to really feel that way. Um, and obviously the interesting piece is, you know, on Saturday – Andrew Boga got released. That kind of spurred some conversation around, like, well, is Boga the guy the Bucs could go after? Um, and importantly here, I mean, the Bucs no longer have an open roster spot. We knew DeAndre Liggins was likely to be uh, opening an NBA spot uh, when he was released. And, you know, I think that's probably the most important aspect of this is just not being able, j- taking away the ability of Jason Kidd to play DeAndre Liggins. Um, less important is 
whoever else fills his place. Uh, And because whoever was going to fill his place was probably going to be a notably better player than, than Deandre Liggins. So um, again, I don't know if any of these guys are going to really see much of the floor, Um, but it it is interesting because it, you know, kind of leaves this open question of do the bucks go and, and try to add some type of, depth uh at the big man spots obviously you know if they had kept ball and boy then then that would provide at least something there um but obviously they haven't done that and with these two-way spots you know they do have one more two-way spot so we'll be interested to see i mean obviously if they picked up another uh guard as on a two-way on their second two-way that would um feel like overkill at this point so um i guess we'll see uh if they make some kind of other move because i mean there are some other again i, I don't know if they're they're not really centers i mean cam oliver and you know cliff alexander uh are are at the herd right now i mean i don't know if they've seen anything from those guys to give them a shot to be honest you know cliff alexander's put up great numbers i think in the g league has had some really big games but i mean he's a 1997 power forward basically and i just don't know if you know those types of guys really have a whole lot of value in the nba at this point so um so i guess we'll kind of see what happens next but i think the big thing is is obviously knowing that kilpatrick will be out the rest of the season this is kind of what we talked about a few weeks ago actually the idea that the timing of the way this would work out is they would you know have to make a decision on liggins and then that would um, probably spur a decision on kilpatrick even though they didn't have to make a decision necessarily on kilpatrick right away but obviously, um, they're knocking that out. And now the question is, you know, what that happens with that other two way slot. And obviously they could make other moves, you know, Rashad Vaughn in particular, not playing on the last year of a contract, um, his deal is guaranteed regardless. But, um, obviously if they were trying to add some depth, uh, that might be one thing they could do is, is eventually, you know, cut, cut, uh, Rashad Vaughn, but that's not really, that's not so, so, um, uh, I guess, uh, time sensitive at this point. Yeah, not, not at all. And, uh, before we started recording, I, I was joking with you that everyone, uh, was given salary cap expert, John Horst, uh, that idea, uh, a lot of jokes, uh, at the start of the year, but the, I, I, I would say this is a, is a really savvy move. Um, if, if you are going to be given these two way contracts and, uh, you are going to be, trying to use them as an asset i think they've maybe you can say they've overmanaged it a little bit but they are determined to get as much value out of it as possible so uh for that i i would applaud them even though i was initially confused by what on earth they could be doing with it i think i i think i kind of get it now so uh good on them and we just spent probably way too long breaking down moves that are at the very end of the roster and even seep into uh, the G League roster. But still, um, I think what you said earlier about the fact that DeAndre Liggins is no longer on the team and someone better than him is taking his spot is important. Uh, just because we've seen too many minutes with him, we saw him uh, really just submarine any lineup he was a part of. <laughs> and to not have that on the court at all times or I shouldn't say at all times, but in a majority of games will be very good for the Milwaukee bucks that that'll make, uh, or I should say, hopefully that'll make making productive bench units a little bit easier. Not that it's ever easy, but, uh, the fact that you don't have someone just kind of killing your space offensively and, uh, 
hopefully executing defensively uh, aside from fouling guys uh, should help out the roster. So um, big stuff. I shouldn't say big stuff, but still some moves there for the Bucks, kind of sorting out their roster as all these guaranteed deadlines get moving. Uh, let's take a look at, man, we have way too much stuff to do. Of course the Bucks made a bunch of moves because we are already looking at like a two hour podcast. Um, but hopefully we can keep it a little bit shorter. The Bucks had, uh, they have a game tonight against the Pacers in Indiana. We'll talk about that at the end of the show. Uh, but now we need to recap the two games that the Bucks had over the weekend, a back-to-back Friday, Saturday. Uh, they lose to the Raptors 129-110 on Friday night. Uh, really uh, pretty much all about that 43-19 third quarter. Uh, and that was kind of where the game just just went away from the Bucks. Uh, it did not go their way. 20 and nine in the third quarter from Jonas Valanciunas not the game 20 and nine in the third quarter from Valanciunas uh, leads the way for the Raptors there in that 43 to 19 quarter in that 129 110 win on Saturday night the Milwaukee Bucks win Uh, they score the exact same amount of points 110 but they hold the Wizards to 103 Bucks win 110 103 behind a 28 to 18 fourth quarter they're able to get some stops late in the game I think they hold the Wizards to 5 of 19 in the fourth quarter from the field uh, and some clutch shots from Yastetokounmpo, one baseline fadeaway and another pull-up uh, from the left wing area uh, inside the three-point line, obviously, but uh, another just another big shot over the top of Kelly Oubre. So uh, the Bucks win on Saturday night. They lose on Friday night. I think going into it, we kind of suspected that this would be a one-in-one weekend, Um what do you take from it? Yeah, I, I mean, obviously Friday night uh, was m- mostly disappointing just because, um, I mean, A, that was the worst defensive performance of the Jason Kidd era statistically. The Bucks gave up uh, around 137 points per 100 possessions. Um, I, as I tweeted uh, during the game, at near the end of the game, uh, they were a few bricked Norm Powell shots in, 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 in garbage time away from having the worst defensive rating in franchise history. Uh, so it's, since 83, I think, is when they, is when uh, Baxel Reverence first started uh, being able to calculate the um, defensive ratings uh, by game. So, um, so yeah, not great. Not great. Um, just a complete disaster, uh, especially in that third quarter, because, um, you know, in the first half, I mean, it was basically uh, an even game. Um, basically, the Bucks were able to just keep pace from a scoring standpoint. Um, with the Raptors, uh, Giannis scoring 17 and, um, you know, making a, especially, man, especially that one play on the Della Vadova long bomb pass. I mean, I'll just mention this one. I mean, <laughs> that, I mean, if you guys probably saw it, but Delhi throws, you know, a pretty speculative, uh, full court pass to a streaking Giannis who, you know, does his best, uh, NFL tight end, uh, hall of fame move and somehow reaches out, controls the ball, catches it is basically under the backboard and uses his go-go gadget arms to then lean over and flip the ball up on the opposite side and into the, into the basket. I mean, it was just an insane physical move to be able to, you know, be corded enough to, to pull off all those things. But, um, beyond that, obviously the rest of the game was for the most part, uh, a dumpster fire, uh, thereafter, um, bucks did a nice job in the first half of controlling DeMar DeRozan really wasn't that involved. They showed him, 
a lot of bodies without necessarily like really just blitzing and trapping outright, mm-hmm. but um, got him to to have to put on dribble. It didn't seem like he was really taking a lot of like pull up jumpers or anything like that. Like he just wasn't necessarily shooting very much. And um, Valanchunas had two quick fouls early in the game, and that knocked him out of the first half. I don't think he scored a point in the first half, if I remember correctly. And Lucas Nogueira saw a lot of minutes, which I thought was really key to the Bucs um, being able to defend the Raptors because um, they were able to play pretty aggressively on everybody else because you just knew that if, you know, Bebe is setting a screen or whatever and catching it um, at, you know, the the top of the key or something like that, like he's just not going to do anything, right? Yeah. <laughs> and he's not a guy who's going to hurt you in the post like Valanciunas can do. Um, so I thought that was pretty important, you know, as much as the Raptors have been successful without Valanciunas, you know, playing smaller lineups with Serge Ibaka at center. Ibaka, if I remember correctly, had a very strong start as well. Um, I thought it was pretty important there in that first half in hindsight, you know, who was not in the game and it wasn't just Valanchunas, um, being out, but also Nagara being in. And I think that really sort of limited what they could do offensively. And then, yeah, in the third quarter, I mean, you know, again, you don't get, you know, you don't give up 137 points per 100 without playing bad defense and also having the other team just hit everything. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I know, that, I know there was one play from DeRozan was great in the third quarter. Uh, Valanciunas was nearly perfect. I think the Raptors had like six offensive rebounds. I think the Bucks had like two or three defensive rebounds. I mean, literally every time the Raptors missed the Bucks, let them get the offensive rebound basically. And there were a couple shots there. 18 to two one. in the third quarter. Rebound. Yeah. There was especially one play uh, that I know you were you were mentioning to me earlier that kind of summarized uh, how how wrong everything went in that quarter. Yeah, I mean, it, like you said, everything was kind of going their way, and then the offensive rebound—I can't even remember what the shot was—but it goes out to the left corner, and DeRozan like he didn't go inside the three-point line to get it. Like it was it bounced on one bounce to him, and he kind of just like caught jump stopped into the corner and hit a three and it was like he just got a catch and shoot corner three off an offensive rebound <laughs> well it was like an off balance like yeah fading. no and like it wasn't a good like, he shouldn't have shot it no it wasn't a good look at all it was a terrible look like you just got a reset and the raptors like you said were just kind of feeling themselves and uh, a fadeaway look into the bucks bench and uh drozen hits that and yeah no- nothing went right for the bucks in that quarter uh valanchunas just kind of tore them apart and they they just didn't have an answer for anything the Raptors were doing and uh it's it's unfortunate because we talk about measuring stick games it's always a, a term we like to try to use and you try to figure out who can the Bucks measure themselves against and I thought going into this week the Raptors were a team that they might be able to measure themselves against they can't the we're we're using two different two different measurement systems. The the Raptors are in metric. The the Bucks are not like they they're not on the same plane. They are not the same teams. Like, uh, and again, I, I don't want to say that so early in the season. And certainly things could go better for the Bucks. But man, you just look at this Raptors team. You look at what DeRozan was able to do on Monday, putting 52 on them, and then you look what the Raptors were able to do on Friday, and this is a team that now has DeRozan shooting threes. They're moving the ball better. They're not getting into as much ISO uh, with Lowry and DeRozan as they were before. Like This is a team that over the, over the summer, 
understood that they had weaknesses and needed to correct them. And maybe some of those weaknesses were pointed out by the Milwaukee Bucks. Like you, as you read some of the stuff about the Raptors and how they were scoring pickup games and which points were counted worth two and which ones were uh, a half point and, and all this stuff, like they geared their summer and off season around figuring out how to play more efficient and more effective basketball. And when you watch them play, it's pretty clear that those changes have been implemented. And now after seeing the Bucks compete with them last year, I think you would have to have some questions about whether or not the Bucks can do that this year. Uh, this is just a Raptors team that, that looked really impressive. And uh, like I said, kind of a depressing takeaway to take away from uh, two games against the Raptors in uh, five days. But man, it, it felt it was difficult to feel anything else watching that third and fourth quarter. Yeah. The, I, I, our, our friend Dean Maniat, um, tweeted out and I forget the exact numbers, but there was some huge disparity, uh, late in that third quarter. I think he did a, a, a count of the number of mid range shots that the bucks had taken and the bucks and Raptors had taken versus, versus three point shots. And it was, you know, uh, you always think of, of DeRozan being like the great mid range guy, right? Who loves shooting those mid range shots. Um, but it, apparently like, you know, when they were done sort of just blowing the game open, there was actually a huge disparity uh, where the Bucks were taking tons of mid-range shots and the Raptors, you know, took almost, uh, I think for the game, they took almost twice as many um, shots from three as the Bucks. The Bucks just seven out of 17. I mean, Raptors didn't shoot great from three. I mean, that's the, the hilarious part about how many points the Bucks hemorrhage is the Raptors only shot 30% from three. They only made yep. 10 out of 33. Um, but they shoot 60, 56% overall, uh, 12 offensive rebounds, uh, 23 out of 28 free throws. And so, again, it wasn't like, you know, again, you gave up just some insane three-point shooting night. You gave up a lot of threes, um, and they certainly hit uh, a lot of open ones to, to blow that game open. Um, but Lowry was the only guy, the only two guys hit more than one three. CJ Miles was two out of six. Lowry was four out of eight. Um, so it wasn't, you know, it wasn't just that. But the Raptors scored 62 paint points. Um, you know, Bucks scored 56 of their own. But uh, again, the three-point line was a little bit of a difference. And then, um, you know, just so many reloads uh, for the Raptors. They had nine more shots overall, uh, in part because of all those offensive rebounds. So, um, so yeah, I mean, again, again, I, I mean, to be clear, like, talent-wise, I mean, the Bucks have no excuse for getting blown out in their old building by, by the Raptors. The Raptors are yep. really good. But, you know, the Raptors, I think, are one of those teams you look at and because they've been doing it for years now, playing at a high level in the regular season, um, you know, you just I think you have to accept this is a good team. Right. And people are wondering, like, maybe this is the year they drop off. But they've had a lot of their young guys who we've talked about, um, you know, the good drafting of Masai Ujiri uh, has really paid off in, in getting solid minutes from you know, the likes of uh, certainly, uh, again, uh, the other night, DeLon Wright played really well. Uh, Fred Van Vliet, you know, hit some big shots. Um you know, they got added CJ Miles off the bench, but you know they just have a lot of guys like you know Siakam and certainly Ananobi give them nice defensive versatility um, at the forward spots. Um, not that they necessarily like shut down Giannis or anything. Giannis had 24 on on 14 shots, um, but uh, again, they just have a lot of you know useful depth on that roster. And obviously, we saw you know full very easily. You know, they got bounced scoring. Abaka at 21, he led them in scoring, but. Um, you know, they had three guys hit 20 and, um, this was just a really deep team, well-coached team. And obviously the bucks, we, we've talked about the question marks around their coaching, their tactics. Um, 
And tonight we saw, or that night we saw kind of everything kind of come together in, in probably the, the worst possible way in, in a losing effort. Um, do you, do you have any other thoughts on that? Or I probably, I think maybe the only other thing I want to touch on that was just, um, and, and again, you know, in, in context of the weekend, Giannis plays 34 minutes on Friday, uh, 41 on Saturday. Um, do you want to talk about Giannis's workload or did you have any other thoughts from, from Friday night's game? Well, I mean, you mentioned the coaching and the tactics and that's been a complaint of Dwayne Casey for, I don't know, the entirety of his Toronto tenure. And, uh, they haven't changed things and, and they were the same team for a long time. And then this last year, he, he spent the off season making changes, uh, and they went through some some rougher times as everyone was adjusting to their roles and they were trying to figure everything out, but they came away a better team for it. And they're 27 and 10 right now. Um, so there it's just, to me, when, when you think about the, the opportunity that I think this off season provided for the bucks, um, we've, we've talked about the problems with the defensive scheme. We've talked about the problems that the bucks are having defensively. Um, they're still struggling defensively this year. And, largely running the same scheme it has been tweaked uh throughout the year and there have been moments where they're going more conservatively but they're they're still a team that struggles defensively with a number of guys on this team that that shouldn't struggle defensively um, i know steve shea uh basketball analytics uh posted his individual like defensive rating number it's it's a stat that he's created that has both interior and perimeter defense and then total defense and the bucks had three defenders in the top 20 of that statistic in Giannis, Bledsoe and Henson so by some metrics and this isn't to say that those three guys are three of the best defensive players in the league I can I understand that you're talking about uh, a variety of different numbers that could go into this and a, a variety of different measurements but they have three very good defenders in those guys Chris Middleton's always been a good team defender and he's been having lapses throughout this season and I just don't know what else to point to. Like as someone, when we were talking about Bogut a little bit, somebody asked, Oh, what, why would you want Bogut? He doesn't fit in the defensive scheme. And I was just like, does Kawhi Leonard fit in the defensive scheme at this point? Like I, I'm not convinced he does. I'm convinced that the bucks could have a bad defense with him out there. Cause they keep adding good defensive players and they keep playing garbage defense. So, um, it, it I guess I couldn't help myself from, Scanning through all of those articles throughout this week uh, with the Raptors on Monday and Friday, reading all those articles, all the changes that they made and all the things that they did to do it and not also think of the Milwaukee Bucks and the the relative lack of changes they made other than other than personnel. This is a, a very similar Bucks team to the one that we've seen in the past couple of years. I, I would I would be fascinated to see what. And and I, I'm curious if anybody from you know the Bucks front office or ownership saw the article about the way that the Raptors played these these pick these scrimmaging games yeah. right where they made um, corner threes worth four points they made I think mid range shots worth nothing is that yeah. right uh, um, or maybe like a half point or something or a half point so something like that right um, basically just to sort of tilt the game such that you you make it basically you're just bashing over the head of players the kind of more subtle differences in value that 
you know, analytics will tell you exist anyway. So, you know, like, and we talked about the other, the other day, right. That, you know, again, Chris Middleton is shooting 50% on uh mid range twos this year. That's outrageous. Right. So, well, good. I mean, he, you know, again, like you don't have to, you know, if you should make a third of your threes, that's worth the same thing as, yep. as shooting outrageously great on mid range jump shots. So, um, I, I would be fascinated to know, like, would the Bucks consider doing something like that? Because <laughs> um, certainly for the Raptors, you know, the a big story has been DeRozan kind of unlocking his three-point shot a little bit. That, to be honest, that that's more recent. That's not been a full-season thing. Um, but obviously the Bucks saw it uh, full well uh, a week ago. So, um, But I don't know. I mean, that's kind of those things. Like, you have to try new things. And it just seems like with the Bucks, I don't know, from the coaching to staff perspective, it seems like sometimes the Bucks want this other team to shoot threes, and other times it seems like they're impatient. And if the Bucks miss some threes, then it feels like, oh, we got to work the ball around, got to work the ball around. Well, you know, again, like you, like like Eric Name always says, if you want your team to shoot more threes, you can't be mad when they shoot more threes. <laughs> um, Correct. And sometimes you're going to miss, and sometimes you're going to make. Um, but but that's just the way the way it goes. And certainly with the way the Bucks play, I mean, they don't play. A bunch of big guy. I mean, they play two centers, one of whom can shoot threes in Thonmaker. And then you have Giannis, who obviously doesn't want to shoot a lot of threes. But, I mean, they don't have any other power forwards they play. Middleton plays power forward, you know. Yeah. They're they're getting rid of DeAndre Liggins at this point. Um, we'll see kind of who patches in those minutes. But, um, you know, this is a team that, again, like, especially, you know, I think a lot of the frustration around Chris Middleton even though he is really good at those long, long two pointers, um, you know, can you continue to push more of those into, into threes? And he's done that to some extent this year. He's, he's increased his three point, uh, attempt rate, uh, a fair bit, um, up by almost one, one attempt per 36 over his previous career high. But, um, but obviously that's a question. So I don't know. Do you want to transition over to the game on Saturday? Cause obviously, um, this was not a, a different bucks team. Um, and in a, in a weird way, it sort of reiterated our, our general, thought that you know you can never trust the bucks even though they won um i i i I don't know maybe maybe you you can always trust the bucks to to bounce back and play way better after a super disappointing game um but you know what do you call it the gravity of mediocrity or yeah the gravity of mediocrity there you go um it's like the bucks you know they they can never get too high above 500 um they can never be too bad they just sort of always you know they have too much talent they just always sort of end up bending their way back to to being a a pretty pretty decent basketball team all right so i guess let's start it was something that you already hinted at um Giannis on saturday night plays 41 minutes uh has a huge game 34 points 12 rebounds seven assists two steals one block uh had five fouls which Honestly, probably might have, was for the best. It probably kept him I mean, from that, playing that 43 minutes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, maybe maybe we want Giannis to have more foul trouble because that's the only thing that's going to stop Jason Kidd from playing him and we're completely completely running him into the ground. Like I, I it's get, it's pretty it's pretty messed up that that's sort of like where we're at. But um, I, I don't know. Giannis hasn't had much foul trouble of late, but maybe that maybe that's a problem uh, for his long term health. So he goes 12 of 17, big night uh, for him. Conversely, Middleton goes for 42 minutes, uh, 20 points on five of 14 shooting, uh, five rebounds and assist. Uh, steal three turnovers, which felt like eight turnovers. Um, just a, a really brutal night. And uh, I guess 
we can talk about both of them in their insane minutes per game. Uh, I think both still, I, I would have to double check on this. I haven't looked in a little while about exactly where they were, but they've been in the top five in minutes per game the entire season. Um, and for a little while, I believe we're one, two in the NBA, uh, in that same statistic. So, uh, they're, they're certainly flirting with that uh, again. Uh, they, they at, are one, two right now. Yeah. They're one, go. two in minutes. Giannis at 37.9 minutes per game. Middleton at 37.3 leading the NBA. And I guess uh, we, we can talk about both of them and both just kind of how crazy it is to do that to them. But, this is this is my bigger thing is Giannis is superhuman. Giannis is one of the five best players in the league. I I don't want to say I get playing him a lot, but great players through time have played a lot of minutes. So that one I can kind of understand. Chris Middleton is again, we can argue all day and all night whether he's top 30, top 40, top 50, top wherever you want to say. He's not superhuman. His game no. is very much not based on being superhuman. It is based on being very skilled and having a very slight margin in athleticism that allows him to get off a variety of tough shots. It, should I be surprised at this point when he's when it, he has a bad game on a back to back? Like, and again, people say, "Well, you're just giving Milton excuses," and and that's fine, but. Like this is not a guy that should be second in the league in minutes per game. Like, no, he shouldn't be. And then if he's going to be, he also shouldn't be your leading offensive guy when Giannis goes to the bench. Like that's just too much on a guy that isn't good enough for that. And again, I obviously think the world of Chris Middleton. I think he's a very, very good basketball player and helps out this Bucks team immensely. But he's likely a a good third option on a championship team, and he's playing the second most minutes in the league. Like it just doesn't make any sense. Well, and especially and and so I mentioned you know only half jokingly that basically maybe foul trouble would be a good thing for the Bucks franchise because it would prevent Jason Kidd from playing Giannis 38 minutes per game. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, a couple of things here. So first off, I would say that the, the other mitigating, and I, and I understand what you say, right? Like the, the natural, um, especially if you're Jason Kidd and you're worried about, you know, being good enough this year to keep your job, the natural inclination will be to overplay Giannis because he's an MVP candidate and your best player. And, you know, you're minus 11 points per 100 when he's, uh, on the bench, you're plus five points per 100 when he's in the game. There's a, you know, everything you would expect is true about Giannis's effect on this team. And he plays, you know, you can see him getting visibly gassed at times, but he can still play at a really high level on both ends, even when he is tired. Yep. You know, we've talked about maybe a little bit at times, like in fourth quarters, maybe he wears down a little bit. Certainly in this game, like if we want to talk about this game, I mean, Giannis was, you know, hit three, three out of three down the stretch, um, including those pair of jumpers. I mean, you know, it was awesome to see as a Bucks fan, Giannis embracing sort of that ability to create those shots. And again, maybe not super high percentage shots because these were mid-range jump shots. Um, but again, these are shots that Giannis needs in his bag of tricks, his change of pace shots, and because he's not going to always just be able to get into the lane at will. Um, but the fact that Giannis has missed, and I think we're going to talk about this as well, Giannis has missed two games with sore knee, a sore knee. This is a, a long-term problem he's had. Um, I mean, it, it is crazy that 
every other player in the league plays fewer minutes per game. Like every other star player plays fewer minutes per game than Giannis, given that he has already missed two games this year due to knee soreness. Who knows if that could become something that... I mean, it seems like we're almost in a spot where, screw it, we're going to play him as many minutes as we want, and then once a month we're going to give him a day off. Like, it hasn't been exactly once a month, but I think it's been... Uh, I'm trying to think of the days. November 22nd against the Suns, he sits out. And then December, let's see, what game did he sit out? Charlotte, December 22nd. Or was it the second one, December 23rd? Either way, like we're at a spot where it's just like, whatever, we're going to play him for 40 minutes a night. But, you know, we're going to even it out once a month, Giannis. You get a night off. Like, no, (laughs) that's how it works. Yeah. And, and, you know, there, there's multiple things to play. One, it's, it's Jason Kidd. Based on what Jason Kidd has said in the past, I, don't, I mean, Jason Kidd seems to very clearly believe that, like, oh, young guys should be able to play tons of minutes. And, I mean, he, he had that quote, like, oh, he can play as many minutes as he wants. Okay, well, this is where, you know, front office, ownership, medical team need to, do, need to step in and be like, no, that, that, that should not be, you know, just the one him into the ground, he's young, he'll figure it out whatever type mentality i mean again you might get away with it you might get away with it you might win you know you're more likely to win on a given night if you play him 41 minutes versus 37 um but you know big picture it's just it just feels like you're playing with fire and um you know the fact that he hasn't had foul trouble is part of it the fact that the bucks are very thin at the forward spots and part of that is self-inflicted because dj wilson was with the herd this week and jason kidd has no interest in playing dj wilson uh is obviously hurt and jabari parker has been hurt um i'm fascinated to see when jabari parker comes back because i mean thank god if if um but sorry you know thank god if jabari parker comes back and at least gives you know forces Jason Kidd to play him more minutes and and allows Giannis and Chris to you know play fewer minutes just because they have another forward that can actually play hopefully twenty five to thirty minutes right off the bat. So um, I, I don't know. I mean, this is one of those things. That it's it's interesting. I mean, Kevin O'Connor, um, uh, you know, went on the Ringer podcast, Ringer NBA podcast a few weeks ago and was like. I mean, he he said that if you're in Minnesota, I think he went so far as to say you would have to consider firing. Um, Thibodeau for how much he's running guys into the ground and the Bucks are running their guys into the ground even more than Thibodeau, Thibodeau is yep. um, so it's yeah it, it, this is one of these things that like I, I mean it has to change at some point because again I just feel like you're playing with fire and you know everybody's going to be happy when you know you win that game in Washington or win these games where Giannis plays big minutes and you know he's key to the team pulling it out but um you know, again, it's that sort of long-term viewpoint. Like you have to have a longer-term viewpoint, and you know, we people talk about it. We, you know, but uh, with Giannis, you know, if, is it going to take Giannis having to sit out, you know, two weeks? I mean, Delavadova missed how many weeks with his knee soreness? Tony Snell missed what a couple weeks maybe with his knee soreness. I mean, is it going to take that level of injury and soreness before the Bucks like realize that they have to manage this more? And you know, I think the Friday night game was another example where Giannis was at, I think like 29 minutes going into the fourth quarter. They're down by, you know, a billion points. And like, maybe you can convince me like playing Giannis to start the fourth quarter for two minutes. See if you can like cut into the lead to start the game, the quarter. Maybe you could convince me that makes sense. Um, but the fact that he plays like another five minutes and gets up to 34, which is one of his lowest minutes outings other than that Indiana game last week, um, in a long time. Um, you know, it's just like this is this is how you run a guy into the ground. Like even in a blowout, he plays 34 minutes, and then that's the night before 
a game where he's going to play 41 minutes in Washington that you really want to win because it's a team that you're you're going head to head with for for a playoff spot. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think Giannis is the one I worry about more, but I totally agree. I mean, Chris, Chris's you know on off numbers are down a lot this year, and he's putting up bigger numbers overall. But you know, a lot of people have noted like some of his defensive effort. I mean, Chris himself, right, has mentioned yep. that you know his his effort hasn't always been there. I don't think he's blamed it on fatigue or being tired. Um, but of course, I think Chris Middleton's going to not have as much energy because you know he's playing power forward this year. Actually, some he's playing a, a ton of minutes. And um, again, I mean, I think given who's on this team, I mean, yeah, when Giannis is off the court, he's he's going to be your most talented offensive player, but especially that now that you have Bledsoe and Brogdon's obviously stepped up into a, a heightened role as well. Um, you, you, you really need to figure out a better way to manage these guys minutes so that, you know, you're not just running them into the ground. And obviously, you know, hopefully that means that, you know, you give some of these other guys a chance. And again, you know, Sean Kilpatrick, Rashad Vaughn, certainly Sterling Brown. I mean, these guys aren't going to give you what Chris Middleton gives you. Um, but again, if you can just steal some minutes for for Chris uh, more frequently, I think it does give you a better chance of getting more from Chris Middleton when he's on the court. And I think that's that's really seems to be a more pronounced thing with Chris this year than in years past. And certainly, I think that's more of a concern I have with Chris than Giannis, who you know, for me, the big thing with Giannis is just you know, his knee and his health is just so central to everything about this franchise with Chris. I think it's more, you know, I just worry he hasn't had injuries, but I do worry a bit, um, or hasn't had injuries this year, obviously, but, um, I do worry a bit about just his productivity. Well, one is health based. Like you're worried about Giannis's health and the other is tactics based. Like you're not getting the productivity you want out of Chris Middleton because he's playing too much. Like he, he, his, he, he has very, I shouldn't say he's very slim margins, but his margins are slimmer than Giannis's. Like Giannis at 95% is still going to be very, very good and much better than the rest of the league. Chris at 95%, not as that much better. (laughs) Like it's kind of how all this works. So yeah, I think it's two different things, but neither of them make a ton of sense to me. Uh, So uh, it's, it's just uh, kind of mind boggling to see. Um, One thing I wanted to add while you were doing this was I wanted to read a passage from Nick Friedel's uh, from ESPN Chicago and and just from ESPN, his Q and a with Jason Kidd. You mentioned some of the answers Jason has had to to me, to Charles Gardner, uh, to Matt Velasquez about, oh, you know, Giannis is young, it's fine. But this is even even more than that. Specific to minutes, how do you balance the fact that Giannis is so instrumental to what your team is doing with the fact that he's 22 and you need to give him a break once in a while? One, it's communication. We talk all the time about how he feels. The one thing I've always been a big fan of is guys who can play 40 minutes, which hasn't happened in this league for a while now. Last year, LeBron averaged, I think, 37.8 or something around there, which is a little bit below par for guys who we've had multiple guys in the 40s when I played. That used to be the bar. You look at Dirk and those guys in Dallas when they first got together. Finley played 41 minutes a night. I don't think he was asking for a break, but they're winning. And Giannis is young, but he knows how to communicate when he's tired. But we're not going to run the engine hot all the time. And there's going to be times when he plays 32 minutes. Do you think that's one of the biggest ways the league has changed since you played? Guys used to play 40 minutes all the time, and now everything seems to be less. Everything is less. It's going in the wrong direction. If we have all this technology to make the person or the athlete better, then my question is, why are the minutes down? When guys played more minutes and more games in years prior, we're supposed to 
better the athlete, not play less. And most of the guys who played a lot of minutes played for a long time. Right. And there's classic. So first off, there's classic sort of survivorship bias in this, right? You think back to all the players who played a ton of minutes and didn't have injuries and things like that. Um, well, yeah, I mean, but you're forgetting probably about guys who, you know, broke down earlier and, and didn't have as long a careers because maybe they did play too many minutes and to get running around. Right. I mean, you know, I, I don't know what Brandon Roy played or, you know, pick, pick your favorite guy who, who might've, you know, been injured. Um, and who knows because of maybe just playing, playing too much. Um, so, and again, I mean, that's the thing, right? I mean, yeah, Tim Duncan played massive amounts of minutes under Popovich early in his career. Um, does that mean that Greg Popovich would go back and do the exact same thing? I don't think so. Nope. I mean, this, the Spurs, you know, have, have t- turned into a science and, you know, they have created a system where they've done just such a great job that they don't need to play their guys massive minutes, especially as they get older. So, um, again, I mean, this is Thibodeau and Kidd are kind of doing similar things where um, they're probably overachieving in the short term because um, they're just relying so much on on their top offensive talent. In particular, we talked about why their offense is so good in spite of the fact that, you know, they don't shoot tons of threes. And, um, you know, you kind of wonder, it doesn't seem like teams that, that should be top six or seven offenses and the bucks are the sixth best offense in the league right now um and i think a lot of it is because well you just don't play your bench players you just play you know your your top players tons and tons of minutes because you know even the minutes 36 through 42 for those guys is going to be better than it is for some of these younger guys you know these lesser players so um i mean we could talk about this you know every other podcast probably and um obviously it's a topic that's come up come up a lot um and uh, I don't know. I mean, at this point, like, you know, again, like it seems like there should be some kind of intervention because short of, you know, the medical team and Giannis saying he can't play, um, it seems like he just inevitably plays tons and tons of minutes. And uh, again, you know, if Giannis has a, you know, 18 year career and plays 75 or more games every year, then we'll look back and say, oh, didn't really matter, you know, whatever, everything's great. But, um, but why risk that, right? Why risk that for an extra win or two, you know, on the margins um, this season when, you know, again, you're not you're not going to win a championship. You know, season, Frank, right? guys used to smoke cigarettes in the locker room. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes they'd have a beer while they're in there. And they were great players. They're all famers. So who am I to say that we know anything better than them, right? Because, uh, I mean, I'll a cigarette, sure, that's fine. No, like, we learn things. Like, that's how this works. <laughs> like, like we get better like the technology jason refers to and the ideas like those have developed and gotten better because we've learned more and one of the things we learned is that you shouldn't play all of those minutes like it's just such a, a frustrating thing to to listen to and you did mention yeah we can say this all the time and i think we do we always do complain when Giannis or Chris plays more than 40 and especially on nights when they do it on back-to-backs but for anyone who's ever been curious like oh stars play a a lot of minutes and like that's generally fine like I'm I'm hopeful that this conversation we had helps explain why it isn't a good thing and it isn't something uh, that should be okay even if you are surviving it for that year. So um, just, a, just a kind of frustrating trend to, can, to continue seeing with this team. I, I, I was hopeful that at some point I wouldn't see Giannis and Middleton at the top five in minutes per game uh, this season. And I, I don't know. I'm not going to say I've totally given up hope on that, but I'm awfully close. Like, like I feel like it, if you were a betting human being, 
and you wanted to go to Vegas, and not that this is a prop that Vegas would have, but if you could bet those one of those two guys to finish the season at the leader at minutes per game against the field, I think you'd probably take one of those two. Like it's we, we've just reached a point where. Um, it just doesn't make any sense, but we've we've seen it continue. Um, all right, let's get back to that game. Bucks win one ten one hundred three. I think the exciting thing in that game, and obviously our friend Dean tweeted out the the statistics for Giannis and just how good he has been in the clutch. Um, the Bucks played exclusively hero ball for the final three minutes of the game offensively. I hated every second of it. I thought it was awful. I thought it was terrible basketball. But they have, uh, I mean, Middleton on some nights, but certainly not that night. But they have two guys in Eric Bledsoe and Yas Dedekumo that desperately want those shots, that are going to hunt those down and find a way to take those shots. And uh, for the most part this year, they've been making those shots in that situation. Am I Am I expecting Giannis to continue shooting 60% in clutch time? No. 67%. 67%. Am I expecting that? No. I am not expecting that. I would assume there will be some mean regression there as that sample gets larger, but it does speak to something that when you think about this team's point differential, you think about the way that this team has played, you think about them maybe outperforming their current projections that's it like being good in the clutch and winning close games that'll do it and they have done that thus far this year and seeing Giannis hit fadeaway baseline jumpers and pull-ups off the dribble after going in between the legs a couple times like those are undeniably good things um and especially so when you think about the last week or so when you can also add in the the thunder game where he attacks the basket and gets a dunk like that. Those are varied approaches. One was uh, a drive where he gets that dunk. He went out of bounds, but he gets that dunk and he was attacking. Then another is a baseline fadeaway. And then finally one's from the left wing off the dribble. He's able to hit a jumper there. Like those are all next level progression things where it's not what it was last year where it was, okay, I'm going to back you up um, and try to make a tough post move. um, Or I'm going to, back away from you, try to get a full head of steam, hit you with a Euro step or a spin move, and you're going to guess right, and then I'm going to kind of get into trouble. Like those are, That's a varied attack that kind of allows you to keep defensive players on their toes. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, again, we, we talked about um, in the past, you know, how uh, oftentimes the Bucks sort of fall into the trap of, like, if, if they can't get Giannis the ball on pick and rolls, rolling to the basket, then he, he can get marginalized late in games. And, um, again, like, you know, hero ball Giannis mid-range jumpers is not like, you know, the path to greatness. And so that I think, you know, sort of like maybe tempers uh, the, the what we saw on Saturday a little bit, just because, again, um, it's great that he's able to start making those shots. You know, for a, a true superstar, you need to be able to have that in your bag of tricks. Um, but, you know, it just it did seem like that that whole game, to be honest, I mean, the Bucks I think, ended up with a 113 offensive rating, which is good. Um, but, man, it did not feel like a well-played game by, by oh, either team. Oh, it was team. bad. It was bad. I mean, the the first half, I mean, I, I was joking about it on Twitter, but, I mean, I, I don't know. It just seemed like every uh, – the the resounding sort of image I had from the first half was the Bucks, in, in particular Malcolm Brogdon, who started ahead of Tony Snell for whatever reason Jason Kidd wanted to 
what motivate Tony Snell to shoot more shots or something. I don't know whatever the reason was, but Malcolm Brogdon like missing right corner wide open threes and other guys also missing wide open right corner threes. They fumbled one away in the right corner. So basically the right corner was just like the, you know, just corner of doom. And I think Kelly Oubre hit a couple threes on the other and on the corners in the far corner. Um, and then just like seemed to be like everybody was obsessed with trying to th- get, throw difficult passes to John Henson in the paint. Um, <laughs> and, you know, yeah, trying Hens- to throw that lob to Thon. Oh, yeah, God. it was just yeah, like they throw it, which I don't know how they retained possession on that. I still wasn't clear. Um, Giannis trying to throw a fast break lob to Thon, who like everything was just mistimed. He ended up catching it and seemed to go out of bounds. But he they threw kept it off, off of. Oh, I'm trying to think what big it was. Um, Mahimi or something. Yeah, yeah Mahimi was standing out of bounds, and as Thon, I don't think he actually tried to throw it, but like he was still trying to catch it. Um, yeah. And as he was trying to catch it, the ball uh, started to fly out of bounds and went off of Mahimi, who was already standing out of bounds, and th- somehow the Bucks kept possession. But but Giannis thought that was himself that he was throwing a lob to. Yeah, <laughs> and not Thon Maker. Yeah, and. Uh, you know, again, I mean, Henson, I mean, finished his credit. I mean, Henson, 11 points, 11 boards, a couple assists, steals, and blocks. Um, held his own. I mean, Gortat was 7 out of 10 and scored 17 points and had three blocks. I mean, again, Gortat played, you know, reasonably well also. But um, Henson, at least for the most part, matched him. Um, and that was important because, you know, Middleton didn't really have his shot. He did hit 8 out of 8 free throws to finish the 20 points. But um, Middleton was not great. Brogdon, 5 out of 14, not great uh, getting the start. Um, Bledsoe ended up being efficient, 21 points on just 11 shots, uh, four boards, four assists, three steals and a block, um, had that big three down the stretch, but that, that play kind of like summarized Bledsoe's night. Cause he ended up hitting a three that I think Bucks gave the Bucks a five point lead late. Um, but it seems like Bledsoe's, he has this, you know, he has that like tendency to, especially if he gets a mismatch to just everything just slows down uh, and uh, uh. like if he gets a switch like i mean last night was a couple times like he got gortat on him and he just like sizes up and he kind of like thinks about it it's like that larry david gif where he's like you know does thing where he, like stares at the other yeah. person and like tries to get them to break that's sort of what like the equivalent of eric bledsoe when he gets a mismatch he kind of like stares the guy down maybe like maybe even like dribbles back out kind of turns around sort of you know takes a sweet time and then decides to like go into like do his turbo whatever move to try to to create something um but like those Ooh. are one of the those are one of the subtle ways that the bucks are slow because it just takes them a long time. There's just too much patience at times. And Bledsoe is, you know, again, as well as he's played overall, um, you know, that's one of those things like he, he's got that kind of set shot three pointer. So, and he's not super confident in it. Did hit both of his threes on Saturday to outduel John Wall, who, you know, John Wall and Brad Beal, I mean, they've been, um, I, I was reading something on truthaboutit.net, one of the, uh, the good Wizards blogs, um, about Wall and Beal being like two of the worst uh, clutch slash fourth quarter guys among kind of star players this season. And they were really bad. I, mean, I think they hit like one out of 12 shots or some, something or two out of 12 shots, something really bad in the fourth quarter. Um, but uh, but Bledsoe, even though he had to do with Wall, and and did finish very efficiently overall um it, it still felt like man he was not uh, uh, oftentimes his tendencies offensively do sort of gum things up a little bit so even though the bucks still score very efficiently with him on the court i don't know it just feels like some of his his like primary sort of offensive ticks just 
don't really lend themselves to to making things happen quickly. And that's especially hard because Giannis obviously is not, I mean, he's not a guy who's looking to just shoot jumpers. So it usually takes longer to get Giannis mismatches or for him to similarly like size guys up and, and make moves if he's got it in the post or whatever. I mean, it's just like another example of thinking that, oh man, Eric Bledsoe, quick flying around the floor like this is going to get the bucks moving and then he's another guy that will find a mismatch and then take 10 seconds to exploit it like it's the same as it is with middleton getting a post up or the the bucks running three pick and rolls to get a switch for Giannis that then he can go to the post like no matter what there isn't there just isn't any pace to the half court offense, um, and obviously uh, I talk about it all the time. Like if you want pace, you have to create it, and the Bucks don't want pace because they don't try to create it. And uh, it, it's just funny to watch Bledsoe's dribble moves because you you think so often with a great point guard, like oh man, Steph Curry got a switch with the center on him, like oh he's gonna cook this dude and it's gonna be awesome. And with Bledsoe, you see him, like, back it up five feet, six feet behind the line, and you're like, oh, this is about to be great. But then you remember, like, he doesn't shoot that well. So then bigs are just, like, backing up, and the the, the extent of his moves to attack that are back up eight feet, run as fast as I can, and then if they backpedal enough, take a three. And if they don't, hit a hesitation move around the three-point line and then try to get past them, but... I'm he's not quite big enough to actually get past people. So then it's two more dribbles to a somewhere around the lane and then a jump pass that's sometimes good, sometimes totally out of control. And it's just kind of frustrating in that you'd think, oh, Giannis, Bledsoe, pick and roll, get that switch, you're gonna punish him and like Giannis might, but with Bledsoe, you're not as confident because Teams just don't have to respect his jump shot. Uh, so, I, I don't know. It's just another another strange cog in the Bucks' offense is, is Eric Bledsoe. And a lot of the nights, like you said, he ends up being efficient. Like, 6 for 11, 2 for 2 from 3, 7 8 from the free throw line, 21 points on the night. Like, you'll take that. Like, that's good. Uh, but at the same time, it, do- it, it doesn't just, like, blend in seamlessly. Like, everyone kind of has their own individual touches on the offense where nothing really seems to flow together uh, and work cohesively. And all it's just a man, the Bucks offense is just strange. Um, So yeah, he he ends up having a good night, but just another weird spot. Uh, So all three of the, of Giannis, Chris, and Bledsoe get to 20 on the night. Bledsoe does it in 33 minutes, while the other two, 41 and 42 for uh, Giannis and Middleton. And I guess the the biggish change of the night was Tony Snell coming off the bench and Malcolm Brogdon taking his spot in the starting lineup. And it, it was just kind of strange. Tony had taken five threes in the three games before the Wizards game. And before that, he was averaging something around four three-point attempts per game, which at the start of the season, we were talking about how we wanted that number to be higher, and you really wanted to see him chuck. And uh, with him, that's kind of the message, like shoot threes. If you're even the slightest bit open, shoot threes. And I thought Snell did a pretty nice job of that at the start of the year, but 
recently it's been pump fakes and drives and just not taking advantage of it. And against the Wizards, he shoots seven threes. He only hits two of them. Um, but still, like, he shot seven threes. <laughs> that was that was kind of exciting. And I guess what do you think of the move and what do you think of getting Snell to take threes and the way to do it is off the bench because the two threes that he does hit were assisted by Giannis. I think he took a couple more when he was out there with the starters. Like, I, I just don't know that Tony Snell is a bench guy, and, and I wonder, do you really need to send him to the bench to get the idea through that if you're open, shoot it? I, I don't really get it. <laughs> I mean, look, I, I, I don't I don't care that much because ultimately for me it's just like, do you get enough minutes for Brogdon yep. and Snell overall? Um, and uh, Snell is a guy that, I think makes more sense with the starters is because he's a, you know, as we always joke about his usage just being like ridiculously low. Um, he is a guy who, you know, if you don't want him to kind of be doing too much and just want him shooting, well then put him out there with good players. Right. And, and certainly that that's going to be the case with the starters versus Bragdon who um, can spot up, but I think you want to use him for his ball handling and dribbling and passing ability yeah. as well. And obviously that, is not as needed with the starters when you have Bledsoe out there as well. I mean, just, you know, we, we've talked about how the Bucks have not really had that much success playing two guard lineups as much. I don't think, I don't know if Jason Kidd knows that, um, but, uh, you know, certainly historically, Brogdon Delhi has not been good. I'd have to check what, what Brogdon Bledsoe has been. Um, but I, again, like, especially with Chris and Giannis and what they can do passing um, and creating, uh, I, I, to me, it's just kind of overthinking it. So I would hope this is a short term thing. Um, and again, I, I don't mind Malcolm being rewarded if it's reward Malcolm with the start. I, I don't know. I, I mean, it seemed to be more of a send a message to Tony thing. Um, and again, I think you can get Malcolm those minutes even when he's when he's not starting. So, uh, you know, yeah, I, I think Snell should start and hopefully next game that that's what happens. He was a plus 15 on the night, so he was effective when he came into the game. Uh, so. Going through that, Giannis, Chris, Bledsoe, Brogdon, and Snell. Um, I think the only other thing on the night would be Matthew Dellavedova. And he gets five assists in 15 minutes, but he only gets 15 minutes because, well, Jason played a smaller or shorter bench. And also he decided to, uh, I'm trying to think how to phrase this, tackle uh, Bradley Beal. It was a clothesline. It was a clothesline, yeah. <laughs> um, and it was interesting. I thought it looked really bad when I first saw it. Like when I saw it in real time, I was like, oh, yeah. that's bad. Then I saw the replay and I didn't think it was as bad. And ultimately thought it would probably go down as a flagrant a flagrant one, but ultimately it was a flagrant two. And uh, I mean, with Delhi at this point, if there's a borderline play, the benefit of doubt is, has been was thrown out the window three years ago. Like, yeah. At this point, Delhi is seen as a dirty player by many, and well, if he does something like that, he's going to get tossed. And uh, you mentioned something about this before the pod. You thought it might actually like light a fire under the Wizards, and it didn't really appear to. No, no. I mean, <laughs> Bradley Beal certainly. It looked like Bradley Beal was going to get all fired up, and this is obviously a weird team. Um, it, the Wizards in the sense that they like to, um, you know, talk a big game and they talked about the Cavaliers 
trying to avoid the one seeds that they wouldn't have to play them in the second round last spring. And they're they're always talking, whether it's in game or after game pregame, like they're just always talking. Right. And I think that was right before they then got, I think they got torched by the Cavs um, in in that game. But, uh, but yeah, they, they talk a lot. They, you know, I'm sure John Wall thinks he's better than Giannis and Bradley Beal probably thinks he's better than John Wall. Um, So (laughs) they're just a team that, you know, I don't know. I don't find them particularly likable. I, I, I find myself rooting for them mostly just because they tend to play like they've had all these bats with the Celtics. um, And I really dislike the Celtics. So, um, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, this team, to me, has over... I, I mean, I think they have perhaps overachieved in recent years. I mean, the fact that they've been in the vicinity of 50 wins, to me, is probably... I, I don't know. I mean, I think that's probably about as good as you're going to get from this team. I just I just don't think they're a great team. I mean, top to bottom, like, their their depth isn't crazy. Um, I mean, we should know. I mean, they were missing Otto Porter on Saturday, so that certainly was a factor. Um, for them, they brought in Kelly Oubre, who um, obviously is normally a kind of a, more of a six-man type guy. So, um, you know, I think between, you know, Wall, Beal, uh, Porter, Oubre, Gortat, I mean, they certainly have some talent. But, I mean, again, is this a team that, you know, um, has the sort of transcendent top five superstar? No. Um, do they have crazy depth to make up for that and be, you know, a contending team regardless. No, I mean, I don't know. I just, it's just really hard for me to look at this team and, and see a team that is going to, you know, contend for an Eastern conference title or something like that. Like I could see them possibly backing their way into the East finals. If other teams have issues or something goes very wrong, but um, I just don't think they're in that class with, with the Raptors, Cavs and Celtics. And um, I'm sure they wouldn't want to hear that, but um, you know, I think we saw it again from them on Saturday, you know, they, they got, you know, they got punked or whatever by Della Vadova and they didn't respond. Bradley Beal misses both tech, both flagrant free throws. Yep. Um, I thought, and, and I, I agree. I mean, I thought it was definitely a flagrant. I mean, you just, the problem was, I mean, it was like he tried to wrap him up, but Beal was going so fast. And Correct. Delhi, because of the angle at which he tried to do it, Delhi ended up with, you know, he he grabbed him maybe around, um, you know, his his chest, but his Delhi's like upper arm ended up then being basically up near his shoulder, and so he ended yeah. up being close to his head. And so, I mean, it, it looked like a clothesline, and he was going so fast that you know the speed with which he hit the ground looked looked very violent. So, um, I thought it was definitely a flagrant. I thought it was borderline whether they would actually kick him out. You it know, was again. just a, a really poorly executed wrap up. Like dudes get yeah, wrapped up in the NBA all the yeah. time. Like that that's not a, a strange play to see happen. And you'll get a flagrant one for that. But Delhi just went in too high. Beal was going too fast. Like it looked bad. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I just I and I enjoyed Delhi just like kind of being like like sort of like then tried to like kind of pick him up and Beal obviously <laughs> was like pissed off and ends up pushing. But he made sure like, he didn't do anything. Yeah, well he pushed the official more than he pushed Delhi, which which was probably kind of fitting because again, I think the, the bark is worth in the worse than the bite with uh with the, the wizards. So um yeah, I mean and ironically <laughs> I, I considered tweeting this, but I didn't. But um, so I know it's lame to mention this now. But my thought when it happened was, as well as Delhi's been playing, I was kind of like, mm, I don't think I want Delhi playing like closing this game out anyway. I think I'd rather have you know some combination <laughs> of Bledsoe, Brogdon, Snell, etc. Um, so I was kind of like, maybe this is probably a good thing, especially because the Wizards got nothing from that possession. Beal missed both of his free throws and they missed a shot. So it was no harm, you know, no harm from a, that possession standpoint. And then you just, you didn't have Delhi anymore, but I mean, what it was like eight minutes left in the game or something. Yeah, so fine. you, okay. Then you play your better players who should be playing anyway. So 
um, that was the sort of the irony of of the play was that, you know especially given the way that the, the Wizards reacted to it, it probably ended up you know helping the Bucks in a weird way. Yeah, I I think that ultimately, like like you said, like I was just imagining that being a turning point. Just the, the motion, you feel like that could really swing a game, and it did none of that. Like it, it didn't affect the game at all, really. Um, so just kind of a strange thing. Any other thoughts about Bucks Wizards? Uh, I don't think I have any thoughts. Period. And I, don't, I, I really don't even want to talk about the Pacers, but I suppose we have to give what our 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 very very brief preview of this. Game. I mean, it can be a token preview. Like no no <laughs> okay, one no one's, no one's here to to grade <laughs> us at the end of the day. We could do whatever we want. This is our podcast, Frank. Um, the Pacers uh, eighth in offensive rating, twenty third in defensive rating. You kind of know what they're all about. Uh, Victor Oladipo, though, is back uh, and went off uh, against the Chicago Bulls. They beat the Bulls 125-86, and I I need to track down Oladipo's uh, full numbers there, but he just destroyed the Bulls in that game. Uh, He goes for 23, 9 assists, 6 rebounds, 5 steals, uh, and 9 of 11 shooting, 2 of 3 from 3, four free throw attempts. So, I mean, you can you can see the difference between the Pacers with Victor Oladipo and the Pacers without Victor Oladipo. The, the Pacers without Victor Oladipo, bad, not good. Yeah. Uh, but with him, and again, he did all of that damage in just 23 and a half minutes uh, since it was such a big blowout of the Bulls. So uh, this is a Pacers team that is going to be a little bit more dangerous. We talked about uh, kind of the start of the season that they got off, they got out to, uh, but they lost a number of games with Oladipo out, uh, including one to the Bucks. And I guess we'll just kind of see like how big of an how big of a difference does Oladipo make, and uh, are the Bucks kind of able to get them to take the the same shots that that they did the first time against the Bucks earlier this week because they it was largely settling for mid range jumpers and post ups and. I mean, you can you can probably live with that shot profile. Yeah, if it wasn't Sabonis just sort of destroying Henson and Maker, um, you know, there it wasn't probably a whole lot else that that went right for them. And and defensively, uh, they did not seem to be particularly locked in as, as the Bucks kind of ran ran wild on them. So, um, so yeah, it, this is you know again like you know they're not they're not quite the Wizards in terms of sort of certainly history, right? We haven't seen this Pacers team. Um, we don't really have much data on this Pacers team, period, right? Given that yep. they made the big trade this this summer, um, but certainly they've been playing kind of above, certainly where everybody thought they'd be. And um, so, who knows how real kind of this is? Obviously, we saw them kind of fall apart uh, pretty quickly without Oladipo, um, but with him back uh, again, you know, as I mentioned, this team and the Pistons are those two teams that I think you look at and you say, "Hey, Bucks, like if you guys want me to take you know you seriously, um, you can't be." you know, losing games or, or being behind those two teams in particular behind, uh, in, in the standings, right. Um, nothing we've seen from those two teams, nothing about their roster talent wise should suggest that you can't, you know, be better than clearly better than those teams. So, um, certainly they took care of business, uh, in Milwaukee, but, um, you know, here's the next test. Show us something. All right. That's going to be it for us for today. I have totally lost track of time. I don't know how long we went. I'm sure it was entirely too long, but hopefully you were caught up on the Bucks, their two games from the weekend, all of their moves from the weekend, and you are ready to go 
for the Pacers game tonight. We will talk to you after that game. That's Frank. I'm Eric. This is Lockdown Bucks, and we will talk to you after tonight's game.